to me he hath made known nor Amen, amen. Okay. Um, good morning. This morning, we're going to talk about chariots and about horses. Okay. So I know that Diana Lara, you who's visiting us today, is going to enjoy this. I know that Cassandra is and, any, and Audrey and Mike Devonport who deal with horses. Uh, this is a real interesting passage, and uh, I need to get the clicker from you, if you could. And we're in Joshua chapter 11 and 12 kind of this morning. Uh, I say kind of because 12 is just going to be a comment of just one paragraph. Paul and Barbara, it's so good to have you back. I love preaching when they're here. We're going to start off, it was pointed out to me that maybe we need to tell folks from time to time a little bit of a timeline of where we are. You know, I talk about Joshua and you kind of go, well, where's Joshua in the Bible? What's that? Anybody wonder where Joshua fits in? Anybody at all? I guess nobody does. Mike does. So let's just look here for a second. Uh, Dr. House gave me this green pointer. It is powerful. It may burn a hole in the screen. We've got creation. Then we have the fall. Then we have the flood. Then we have the Tower of Babel, or Babel, as some people say. Then we have Abraham here. Abraham's about 2,000 years before Jesus comes, okay? So that's Abraham and that's Jesus. There's 2,000 years in here of history. They moved to Egypt about maybe, oh, I don't know. Uh, can't remember exactly when they moved to Egypt. But they end up, the Exodus is about, let's just say, roughly speaking, 1500 B.C., 1500 years before Christ. And so right after the Exodus, we have the conquest of the land. So that's where we are. I'd say we're at 1500, 1600, I'm sorry, 1500 or 1400 B.C., maybe. I uh, don't know about that exactly. It doesn't matter, but it lets you know somewhere in history now, Mike, where we are. And then, of course, you're going to have another 1500 years or 1200 to 1500 years going up to Jesus. So that's where we are. So during this time, I'm going to be preaching all of Joshua, and then I'm going to preach the book of Judges that follows it. So it's a chronology. I've just thought about why don't we just go on and let's stick to the chronology and just see how this plays out until Israel gets a king. Okay, that's where we're headed. We headed to the promised land. Now Israel will get a king. Now if we want to look at this little bit up close and personal, we have this. I'm honing in on that. We have Abraham, Moses, and David. So there's 500 years between Moses and David. Joshua would be right in here. Y'all follow me? Are you good with this, Mike? Good. We can go on them. What'd you say? Okay, okay, we've got Mike's uh, permission to move forward, so that's what we're going to do. So what we've got here is we remembered those who have not been with us. I'm not going to point out names, but there's some. Well, you guys hadn't been here, the Britons, unless you've, been, unless you've been looking at the sermons that whenever God takes us from something, he moves us to something. When he took me out of sin and out of a life of bondage that way, it wasn't that he just took me out, but he moved me somewhere. In the same way that he found the children of Egypt, Michael, in, the prom, in Egypt, the children of Israel in Egypt, and he took them to the promised land. And we've talked about how Paul 
said that we're to learn from these Old Testament stories. We may not, you know, we're not Jews. I don't know that anybody in here is a Jew or so any of the promises to the Jews applies to us. But we learn, Paul says, from them how to lead our lives, okay? And what we've done, we, we've gone through the whole business of getting across the Jordan. And then we get into the promised land, which for us is what I call promised land Christians versus wilderness Christians. Wilderness Christians are those that sit back, never understand or learn the promises of God, and they can't claim the promises of God, so they watch from afar at the way life ought to be lived. Amen? But when we know the promises of God, and now you know at least one promise of God, where is it? It's in your bulletin. Exactly. And it's in red in your bulletin, and it's going to be there next week. And if you can memorize it, then do it. It's just so easy, and you know these promises of God as you read them. So, anyway, then we get into this whole business of taking possession of what was the inheritance. The Jews, early more, were given a physical land, kind of like if we had been given America and we weren't. We were given a spiritual inheritance. We learned about that in Ephesians. And the deposit on that inheritance that we received was what? Come on. No, the deposit. I'm going to ask this till someone in this congregation besides Michael Havens answers. Because he answers, I almost pointed at him. I thought, no, I'm going to give everybody a chance to redeem themselves. The deposit of the spiritual inheritance that we receive is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives within us, enables us to live a promised land life, enables us to have Canaan living versus slavery living, okay? So we go into the promised land. And we have real battles. And I don't know about y'all, I've had some battles. Anybody in here had some battles recently? Okay, and God equips us, y'all, to handle these battles. The battles can come in all kinds of ways. They can be things like our fear. This morning we talked, Matthew, in, in our Sunday school that Pastor Larry led us in. And, you know, he said that one of the battles that we have is fear. I said, well, what are you afraid of at your age? Well, you know, I'm... We were all afraid of it. Am I going to do anything with my life? Am I going to be able to feed myself? Am I going to be able to have a career? So fears, and the fears don't go away as we get older. You sometimes may be fear, am I going to be a trucker forever? Or God, are you going to put me back into the oil field where I want to be, right? Can you amen that loud? This man's just come off of 12,000, 13,000 13, miles of driving. You think you've got a backache this morning. Can you imagine that? We have problems in our ministries. And problems can become great opportunities, and they do in this little church. I'm glad to say that every little problem we've had along the way, it's like God's used that and grown us, hadn't he, Sue? And we've learned new things, and we see how great God is. You know, how great is our God? You, you led us in that last week. And we, but we have these troubles that we go through. There are troubles maybe in our marriages, conflicts, as we try to have our own way, relationships with others, and just plain hassles of life. Some of them come from the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? But some of them just happen because batteries get old. Tires wear out and pop, right? I was loading a cat's car for the third or fourth time recently. We'll talk about it later as it kept breaking. And Mike Thomas, some of you all know Mike Thomas, told me that we couldn't get the trailer to go down because the battery was dead. He says, that's just the old devil trying to get us. I said, no, Mike, that's a bad battery. We <laughs> So we can't blame it all on the devil. You know, sometimes you need to go to Rick, go to the mechanic and get it all fixed. Anyway, then we get into preparation 
to go to Gilgal. Remember when they went in there, the first thing before they even attacked Jericho, God told Joshua, he said, go and consecrate yourselves and go and circumcise all of the children of Israel because their parents, and these were grown men, okay? And they put themselves in that position of vulnerability when they obeyed God because, hey, if they all got circumcised and their enemies had come after them, there's not a thing that they could have done. Probably couldn't have raised a sword to even fight. But they obeyed God, and there in Gilgal, and I talked to us about circumcising our hearts, letting God carve away the stuff that's not of Him, the scar tissue of our souls, carve it away and leave us tender, leave us uh, tender and ready to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. That's Gilgal. Gilgal is where we go, and I don't want to steal Pastor Larry's thunder, because in communion today, he's going to take us back to Gilgal, and that's where we confess we repent. We say, Lord, empower me to leave out of this place and go do what you would have me do. Amen. And that's all I'm going to say about it, Larry. You say the rest. So our Gilgal, well, I'm not going to say that because he's going to say that. So last week, we studied the day that was like no other. Remember what happened on the day that was like no other? Yeah. What was really interesting is this day that was like no other happened right after Joshua and Israel had committed their worst sin. They didn't consult the Lord. They made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. They did all of this stuff, and the point of it all was God takes even when we mess up, and He can take our messes, Rita, and He turns them into messages. And if we hear those messages, then we become magnificent masterpieces. So the point of that whole, that whole message last week, y'all, was no matter what our failings, no matter what we've done wrong, God is ready to take us from that point and move us forward immediately into victory. Amen? I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. I had another good night's sleep last night. So we saw all of the southern kings, and the way God did it is God used that treaty with Gibeon to gather all the southern kings together, and then God killed them all with hailstones. It says more were killed with hailstones than with the sword of Israel. God just said, I'm going to show you all one more time. I've got this. And God killed, I guess, over half of them with hail. And then the other thing, to give them more time to finish off their enemies, Joshua commanded the sun to stop or whatever happened. And time stopped. I say it's like time stopping. Time stopped, and they were, the, the day was extended to the point where they were able to finish their business, Okay. We talked about, well, how could that happen? You know what? If God can create the heavens and the earth, he can make time stop for whatever time he wants it to stop. Amen. So we went on and I told you all that God is not our God is not the God of second chance. He's not. People give second chances. I tell her, my wife, if you do this one more time, you know, or I'm going to give you one more chance. I don't I don't ever. I'm never that dumb. Don't y'all think I. <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm not that foolish. But God gives us chances over and over and over and over. He is God of more chances, Aaron, than we can count. That was the name of that message that week that I preached that. Jesus, they said, well, how often do I have to forgive my neighbor? He said, seven times 70. That's all. That's okay. 490 times and then I'm not going to forgive you anymore. No, God's saying, you forgive others like I've forgiven you, which is over and over and over again. All right. 
So God won the victory with hailstones and the stopping of time. Uh-oh, we've got a problem. So now, sorry, I hit the wrong button, Jason. It wasn't you. Israel now moves northward. And this is a little map. So I always figure out where Jerusalem is looking at the Dead Sea, which is down here. If you come right over from the Dead Sea, that Jer Jerusalem's right about where the dot is. Jericho is where they were, and Gilgal was right beside Jericho. So they're always going to do something, they come back to Gilgal. They go to do something here, they come back to Gilgal. Y'all follow me? That's where they go back to. And as Larry will open up today, we go back to the cross. The cross is our Gilgal, where we thank God once again for what he did for us, how he cleansed us, how he renewed us, how he made us a new creation, and then how he empowers us, Diane, to keep on living and doing things and handling the battles that we get into. The ch focal chapter of today, open please to jo Joshua chapter 11, and I'm going to read it off the screen. Then it came about when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard about it, that he sent word to Joab. What did he hear about? He heard about what had happened to the kings down south. He heard about them all getting killed. He heard about the hail coming from the sky. He heard about the day stopping or whatever happened. And he sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Achsaf, to the kings who were of the north in the hill country and in the Arabah, south of Chirarot, and in the lowland and on the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, in the hill country, and the Hivite at the foot of Hermon in the land of Mizpah. Then they came out, they and all of their armies, with them as many as the sand that is on the seashore. That was a lot of enemies coming after them. Israel had all of the north of Canaan out to kill them. Y'all got it? And what happens? Then they came out, they and all of their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So all of the kings gathered together and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom, to fight against Israel. Joshua, who had just had this great victory, we're going to see, is probably thinking, what in the world is going to happen now? God, did you do all of that to kill us? And why, did he, why would he think that? You know, whenever we overcome one hardship, it's funny, the next one that comes along never looks the same, does it? It doesn't to me. And I go through this silly thing of wondering kind of in the back of my mind, and I'm getting less apt to do this where I go, I wonder if God can solve this one too. And I went through some of that this week, and I'm going to share that with you. It says they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore, many horses and many chariots. I thought about how sometimes, Devin, we just feel overwhelmed. Sometimes Devin calls me and said, I just feel overwhelmed. And we do feel overwhelmed because we see uh, I don't want to say an enemy, but sometimes it's just a foe. It's a battle out in front of us, and we think, I've never encountered this before. How am I going to handle this? And we get overwhelmed because we realize we don't have the resources in and of ourselves to overcome the enemy. Can you all amen that? That's what happens to me. You're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed right now because you're doing the work of a 30-year-old, okay? Some of y'all are overwhelmed because you're doing the work of a 20-year-old. And you're in your 50s or 60s, right? We get overwhelmed. And this time, Sandy, 
as I, I came into her this Monday, last Monday morning, I guess, or Sunday night, and I said, this is kind of interesting. I have to give my wife the credit for this sermon. I said, what's the big deal with the horses and the chariots? And she didn't say, can't you see, dummy? She said, Faber, Israel didn't even use horses and chariots at this time. God was bringing an enemy against them that they knew nothing about. And I showed you all that picture. Look at the bulletin. Can you imagine you're on your, standing on your feet, Cassandra, with nothing but a little bitty sword, maybe a shield made out of leather, and you see that thing coming at you that's on that bulletin. What does that look like if we were to have modern warfare? The biggest, baddest tank that you ever saw coming at you, right? Four horses, four guys shooting at you all at once, and you think, oh my gosh, is God big enough to do this? I know that he rained hailstones, but he never saw anything like this. Not my God. Guys, God's seen it all, okay? And so Israel had no experience with this. And when you have no experience with something, you've got to walk either in fear or you walk by faith and not by sight. That's the problem. When we have a lot of experience with something, we go, well, I've, I've beat these guys before. I know what I'm doing, okay? Remember what they did in Ai in the first battle of Ai? We got this covered. Don't send a bunch of people. All we need is 3,000. Go attack Ai. And they got beat up pretty bad, okay? And God redeemed them, and God went in, and they eventually conquered Ai. But that's what happens. Something was coming at them with which they had very little experience. And the same thing happens to me and you. It's a new challenge that comes along. I've never been in a COVID epidemic. I've never lived in the United States when there's a shortage on all kinds of weird stuff. Anybody noticed a shortage on all kinds of weird stuff? If you hadn't, you're not buying anything. I'm serious. It's really getting weird. And you just, I've never been in those kinds of things. Before I talk about the ones that I've been getting into, these are some things Sandy brought out for me. Israel was warned in Deuteronomy 17, 16. God specifically told him, Cassandra, not to acquire a bunch of horses. I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm just picking on you now. She says, sometimes I got to get rid of some of these horses. They're eating too much stuff. That's not why God wanted them to get, not to acquire too many horses. He didn't want them to confuse the horses as what they needed to get along in life. It's what the world was telling them that they needed to acquire. Accumulate a bunch of horses, you can go beat anybody that, that you want. God was trying to say, don't forget that I am what you need, not a bunch of stables of horses. Then in 2 Samuel 8, 4, King David actually hamstrung the horses of King Saul. And I have to apologize. I've confused the word hobbling and hamstringing with one another, and they're two different things. Hamstringing, you actually cut a tendon in the back of a horse, and you, it doesn't kill it, but it renders it useless. It can walk around, but it doesn't have any strength. Follow me? So God didn't say, go kill these horses. He's going to say, go hamstring them and burn the chariots. I love this. Isaiah 31.1, I found this. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Why is it wrong for folks to go down to Egypt for help? They're not going to God for help. And Egypt was considered the most powerful country in the world at this time. So Isaiah is saying, woe to those who go down to the most country, powerful country in the world thinking it's going to bail them out. Who rely on what? On horses. Who trust in the multitude of their chariots. And in the great strength of their horsemen. But 
Do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. God help us when we start relying on what the world tells us we need to win. And we stop relying on the Lord of hosts. That's really, y'all, that's the message today. That's what's in my heart. And so what does God say? Yet the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time, I'm going to turn all of them over to Israel as good as dead. And you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. That's pretty weird. All right. God told them, don't be afraid because the situation looked unwinnable. As I said, in these times of COVID, I have weird little battles that happen in my life. My daughter just got the job I've hoped and wished she would get for the last 15 years, okay? She's preaching now. I'm not preaching. She, she's a professor now at Blinn College, okay? Wouldn't you know it that that's the weekend? Last week, her little car that's 24 years old just decided to die. So I thought, well, there can't be much wrong with it. I went, we drove her to Brenham and did all this stuff. And we went back and started riding. Oh, I drove it to Houston to get it repaired again. When I got there, it started. The guy looks at me and goes, okay, what else is wrong? And then I brought it back and she tried to start it again and it wouldn't. She had her first classes on Monday. Car was dead in the parking lot, but live when it took her. And I just said, Lord, I need your help. And Sandy and I held hands and we trusted God that he would provide for her even in a time when there's no used cars, there's no spare parts, there's no nothing. I even called up Larry Waddell. Larry, you got anything? You got to be kidding. Faber, there isn't anything. I said, Lord, there's something that you have for us. And I said, Kat, you start praying too. She did. And her mom said, you're the darling of the choir. All, some little old lady's going to have just what you need. And anyway, no little old lady had what she needed. So Tuesday night, I mentioned it to a little group that was together and, and couple in the church said to me, well, we're getting ready to buy a new car next week. You can buy our trade-in. I said, sold. God is that way, y'all. I've had trouble typing because of this silly thing they call trigger finger. I don't know what's wrong with my hand. I looked online, and you probably know since you're a nurse. I don't know what it is. All I know is my finger doesn't work. And when you're a pastor typing a bunch of stuff, your finger needs to work, right? And so anyway, I found this little, I looked up trigger finger on Amazon and found a splint. And I guess it's healing. You'd have to tell me. I don't know. Doesn't, it's not hurting like the Dickens anymore. But these are the little things that we get involved in. And, you know, they often happen. What's funny is these little problems after we've come off a big high, a big spiritual high. We were talking in Larry's class today and he said, guys, the only problem with being on a, on a mountaintop is usually there's valleys all around the mountain. There's a lot of wisdom in that, brother. And so we're up on this spiritual mountaintop. Remember, remember, do y'all remember Elijah going against the prophets of Baal? How in the world could you go against the prophets of Baal, kill 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of Asherah, which was another goddess? He kills 950 of these wicked people. And then he gets a letter from Jezebel, who's the queen. And she says, I'm coming after you, Elijah. And he falls apart. I've never understood how he just killed 950, and he's afraid of Jezebel. It's just weird, but that's what hap <clears throat> happens to us. God gets us through something like 950 horrible prophets who are out to get us and kill us, and we get a letter from Jezebel. And the letter of Jezebel can be the fact that, hey, there are no used cars available, or you're never going to be able to ride again because of your trigger finger, whatever this thing is. Anyway, my point is, 
God once again tells Joshua, do not be afraid, Joshua. Tomorrow at this time, I will turn all of Israel, all of them over to Israel. So Joshua and all the people of war with him, we're not going to go as long today because I want to leave time for a very, very meaningful communion service that Pastor Larry is going to take us through. Came upon them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord handed them over to Israel so that they defeated them and pursued them as far as great Sidon, Mesrephoth, Maim, and the valley of Mizpah to the east. And they struck them until no survivor was left. Listen to this. Sweet words. And then Joshua did what the Lord had told him to do. Don't we need to do what God tells us to do? What did God tell him? He did just as the Lord told him to do. He hamstrung their horses and he burned their chariots with fire. As I was taking a shower this morning, I thought about this. I thought about how if I'd been praying and hoping maybe that I needed to meet a bunch of financial obligations I had. And I had an enemy that I went and attacked. And I went into their house, and there was, you know, a million dollars sitting there piled up. It's like God says, take the million dollars and burn it. That's what he's saying, because if Joshua had taken the horses and taken the chariots, God knew that he would be tempted to trust in chariots and horses instead of in the Lord God. And he obeyed him, and and it took a lot of, I don't know, humility self-sacrifice it took a whole lot of wisdom on joshua's part to say i'm gonna do what god told me to do because whenever i do it sure seems to work out better it took faith instead of fear he was walking in faith and not in fear so what are your horses and chariots i'm going to kind of end with this now what are their what are your horses and chariots what are the things that look so attractive to you that you think if i just had that then i would be able to tackle the Jerichos that are in my life. For some of us, horses and chariots are having enough money in our 401k account, okay? That's the thing. For others, it's acquisitions and things. The world defines success differently than God. The world tells women the way they're supposed to look, doesn't it? Women, you're supposed to shake your head, yeah. And it's not like natural women look, okay? And the world tells, yeah, women, you need to be thin and sexy, Tells guys, you need to be young and muscular and not have a pot belly, okay? We need to be in the world, y'all, but not of the world. We need to stop listening to what the, the world tells us that we need, and we need to listen to what God tells us we need. That is the message today. The world is telling you you need chariots, and you need a lot of them. It's telling you you, you need horses, and you need big, strong ones. And God's telling you, you need me. You need me, and you need to fall on your face. You need to return over and over to Gilgal. And you need to seek me for what you need in that moment. Because what does he say? What does it say in, in Matthew six thirty three? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You may not get horses and chariots, but you're going to get exactly what God knows you need to get you through your next Jericho. Chapter 12 is just a bunch of names of people that were conquered under Moses and Joshua. And it's a summary of all these conquests and everything. And I don't want to just gloss over it, but that's what it is. So I got to thinking, what can I glean out for you guys, the message out of chapter 12, where it's just one place mopped up after another. And here's what I thought about. 
and I think the Holy Spirit's in this. Paul, when he's writing the Philippian church, tells them something wonderful that we, de- we each need to remember. He says to them, I thank my God. This is in chapter, uh, I think it's in chapter 1. Every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen up, everybody. Listen up, Diane, Diana, Laura. Or, or, listen up, kids, Rebecca. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is not finished with me yet. He's not finished with you yet. You are a work in progress. He loves you just like you are. He wants to keep transforming you into exactly who you're meant to be. Isn't God great that he doesn't require of us to be perfect at this moment in time? Guys, give yourself a break. God gives you a break. We mess up and then we run around or feel guilt and don't come to the church or because we did that or you know, did this, yelled at someone, got drunk, did something crazy. And he wants you right back here because he's not done with you yet. And he's going to create a good work in you. It is right for me to feel this way, he says. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, Paul wrote this when he was in prison. All you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. And then I love this. This is my prayer. And I thought, this is my prayer for you all. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best. And you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ of Jesus. Filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus. To the glory and praise of God. So in the same way that he cleaned up all the kingdoms of the south. Where he got rid of all the kingdoms of the north. He did it a step by step. A battle at a time. He's doing the same with you, Michael Havens. You're a work in process, and God is not finished with you yet. I thought it was interesting. I had a company, and we would, works in process was a real important part of our inventory. It wasn't like we discounted it as nothing. You know, we had, and Scott worked with me on some of this. We'd have certain pieces of the drill pipe done, and then Scott would get it and fabricate it and put it together. But that work in process was very valuable, wasn't it? And if it got lost, the finished product never was going to be there. And that's what we are, Gary, to God. You are a work in process. You're out there on the work in process stack, and he's working on you and trimming on you and filing on you, and he's, he's not done with us. And I just get so much comfort out of that. So my prayer is the same thing, that, that you would understand that God is not going to leave you where he found you. He is not going to leave you as a wilderness Christian. Learn the promises of God, claim them, and walk in Canaan land living. Let's pray. Mike Devonport, would you please pray?
Pastor Larry's going to lead us in uh, communion together with the Lord. And uh, we're singing a song which everybody was saying, wow, that just sounds so Irish. I was trying to take a nap yesterday. And all I could do is I started translating part of it into the Gaelic language, which I love speaking. And uh, so I'm going to sing the first verse of it in Gaelic this morning. Not to bring attention and glory to me, but so you'll be hungry and anxious. Hear it in words that you're going to understand. And it'll mean something to you. Amen? Amen. That's what we're going to do, and I'm not Amen. sure. So, Faber, are we going to take up the offering while we, before we do the I guess we better, Larry. Let's go ahead, and you want me to sing now? I don't know. Y'all decide. Y'all too. This song, and we'll do it the first part of the line. Okay. We're going to do the song now, and while we're doing the song... If the deacons, uh, Paul yeah. or, or, or Jimmy or somebody, y'all go ahead and take up the offering. And we're doing this in D. What, E? Uh, key of D. In favor, are they going to pass out communion right now, too? No, they're not. Life. 
I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot. But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Amen I just want to harken back to some of the pastor's opening comments as, as we uh, prepare our hearts for the communion And just this word remembrance was in, in these verses which we're going to uh, tap into. I uh, want you to really feel what it is that Jesus is asking us to do there. The remembrance of the brokenness of his body, the remembrance of the loss of, of the blood, uh, just to kind of just let that soak in as I read these uh, script, uh, the points uh, that Pastor Faber had uh, made early in, in, the, in his sermon. He says, we have learned that each, after each battle, the children of Israel always went back to the place called Gilgal. It was a place of repentance, forgiveness, recommitment, and empowerment. Our Gilgal is returning to the cross, and they are having a divine appointment with God where he once again forgives, revives, inspires, and empowers. Joshua had to go back to Gilgal to have his encounter with God. Amen. We have a Gilgal, but it's not a physical one. It's a relationship. When Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he became our source, our Gilgal, that we could come to whenever or wherever we happen to be. We all have our Jerichos. We all have needs for praying for the walls to come down. Amen. We all have our problems as it relates to relationships, as it relates to ourselves, as it relates to maybe health. We all have our Jerichos. And to be in denial of that is to be in denial of the fact that we have to have this relationship with God. So our relationship with God is our Gilgal that we do go to. We all need this thing called communion because it's a critical part of our relationship. It is how we seek the kingdom. It is an integral part of the fact that what Pastor 
uh, Faber said earlier at Matthew uh, 6, 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Communion is an integral part of seeking that kingdom, seeking to become into the righteousness. We have these verses in 1 Corinthians that Paul pens, and we read them at every communion, but I want to just stop and want to dig into some of these key words. He writes in chapter 11, starting with verse 23, said, I have received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he uh, was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Just think about that. He knew that his body was going to be broken. And the symbolism of that was the breaking of the bread. He's telling the disciples what the pain and the agony that he's going to go through. And he's saying to them this very portion of it. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Not doing it for himself. He's doing it for us. Breaking of this body is for us, to pay for our sins, not to pay for his. And he goes on, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? the agony, the broken body that he has to go through in order to redeem us. To bring us back to the Father. To give us our Gilgal, the cross. He's saying, I, I, I love you so much, this is what I'm doing. To know what he was going to go through this brokenness of the body. To know that and still say, I'm going to do this for you. Something to remember. Not just when we're taking communion, but with every breath of life we take. And he goes on and he says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and this cup represents him symbolically, and you'll see this, saying, this cup is the new covenant. What the word covenant means is it's an agreement where the one party sets all the terms, and the other party has to decide whether they're going to accept or refuse. God sets all the terms in terms of our salvation. And we have to decide we're going to receive or accept that. That's what the word covenant is talking about. And he says the new covenant. He says the, to do this when you drink of it in remembrance of me. So he's saying that as 
he pours out his cup, his blood. That we're to remember what it is that he's giving. And that's his whole life to us. Now, why the blood? Well, in Leviticus, it is written in Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of a creature is the blood, and I have given it to you. Make atonement for yourself on the altar. So he's given us the life of animals for the purpose of being able to use their blood to make atonements. Transform that forward. Jesus Christ's blood. He's given it to us to put on the altar. Go forward. And it is the blood which makes atonements for one's life. Nothing else. It's the blood. In Hebrews 11, excuse me, 9.22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So now we know why he had to do what he had to do. Do this in remembrance. Think about that. As we partake in this, think about the why we're doing it. Think about what we should be honoring God with. Think about the fact how much he loved us, that he went through what he did in order for us to have redemption, for us to have this relationship back with the Father again. There is a, a set of verses which we rarely read in communion, but they're very important, so I wanted to focus on this set of verses. And it's right there in 1 Corinthians uh, 17, uh, 11, uh, 27, and it reads like this. So, anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthingly, that means flippantly, haphazardly, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, who's been broken for you, who's been poured out for you, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. But if we examine ourselves, we will not be judged by God in this way. Before we take communion, let's bow our heads. Let's examine ourselves. And if we see that we have any Jerichos that we need to confess, any strongholds, anything which is not in the will of God to be in our lives. Let's bow our heads and confess those.
Father God, I want to thank you for this, for this encounter with you, Father. A chance to uh, let go of our, our Jerichos, Father. Knowing in faith, Father, that uh, you'll cause the walls to fall down allowing us to grow back into our Christ-likeness, back into our love relationship with you. There's nothing else that we desire more than to have that, to love you as Jesus loves you, Father. And Father, right now, we just uh, thank you for the gift of the bread and for the wine. Thank you, Father, for the gift called Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's see. Josh, come forward, please. Oh, God. 
Jesus said, as he broke the bread, eat this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of my broken body. Remembrance of the pain and agony. Remembrance of the fact that I'm hanging here from the cross. Remember all the sacrifices I've made for you. Break it and eat it in the name of Jesus. Then he said, this cup represents my body. And this blood is what I pour out for you because life is blood, blood is life. And in remembrance of that, drink this cup. Father, we thank you for the gift gift of communion. Thank you for the gift called the Savior. Thank you, Father, for the fact that uh, we have a Gilgal that we can go to 24-7. Uh, we don't have to travel to it. You're in us. And therefore, Father, we have this 24-7 relationship with you. And we pray, Father, that we honor that relationship by being obedient to what you call us to be, being obedient to what it is that we're to become. Father, we surrender all to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this